Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. On this channel, we have simple goals. We want to inspire investors to move forward. We want to create belief that one rental at a time is possible. And we want to help you take positive steps forward. If you want to learn more about your host, Michael Zuber, please go to Amazon and buy his book, self-titled or self-published, One Rental at a Time. I believe there's a link in the description. If you're ready to get started with buy and hold rentals, but unsure what to do, I strongly encourage you to consider buying our online course. It gives you the tools to get started, help you learn your market, allows you to compare deals, and so much more. Lastly, by buying the course, you are granted access to a private Facebook group where I and my students interact daily. Everyone is equal, and we just keep helping everyone move forward. It is so much fun to watch, and again, I believe a link is in the description. With that, on with the show. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. I got a really exciting topic for you today, actually one we haven't done before, and that is we are gonna break down fraud. Uh, and to do that, we're gonna let's welcome our guest to the show, and we'll kind of break break this down. How you doing, Tony Coretto? Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, as we always do, why don't you kind of introduce yourself to the audience, where you are in this crazy world, of, and what you do in real estate, and we'll we'll go from there. Great. Uh, well, I live in the uh, mountains just north of New York City, two hours north of New York City. Uh, you may know them as the Catskills. Um, they uh, have been around for quite some time. Uh, and they're, you know, over the last 10 years or so, they've really been experiencing a, a renaissance. There are a lot of hipsters from Brooklyn living up here now. So I guess ah. that's the sign that, uh, that we've made it again. <laughs> uh, so we've been, uh, we've been living up here full time for the last couple of years um, after I semi-retired after selling a consulting business. Uh, and I do uh, consulting. I do mentoring. I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur in residence for NYSERDA. I mentor startups. I also a real estate investor investing in individual multifamilies as well as syndications. Uh, you know, and I've been a real estate investor for at least, you know, 25 years. So I've, I've done a number of deals, uh, you know, single families, multifamilies, nothing too huge, no, no hundred unit, 200 unit buildings all, you know, I think our largest property was a six family, which we still have, mm-hmm. uh, mostly two families, uh, three families, four families, that kind of thing. Very, very cool. So it, it's fair to say that your 25 years of history, you've been really a buy and hold kind of just a traditional landlord. Is that kind of fair? Uh, yeah, small, you know, small real estate investor and landlord, kind of, uh, you know, the kind of investor who um, wants to preserve uh, principal and grow with inflation, you know, wants to have an inflation protected stream of income, which, you know, rentals do, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great thing, right? Because you can always increase uh, rents, generally speaking, as, as the economy grows and your underlying asset will grow in value. So it's a great, uh, you know, conservative investment uh, for for somebody like me who, you know, wants to diversify beyond just stocks and bonds and wants to have something that, uh, you know, that doesn't require all that much time and effort uh, and is fairly stable and a, and a different asset class, right? So For sure. And it does sound like you did some acquisitions on your own and you participated in syndications, which basically meant you were the, the limited partner or the money side, it sounds like. 
Um, yes. Is all this yeah. generally in New York or the Catskills or kind of like across the nation? Um, yeah, well, a couple of deals. I was invested in a deal with, uh, with Jonathan uh, through his company, Two Bridges Asset Management, which did very well. Mm -hmm. And that was down in Atlanta. Um, I had another, you know, limited partner deal somewhere out in uh, California that did pretty well. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've invested in, okay. in syndications, which had property, uh, you know, outside the New York metropolitan area. Very, very cool. So uh, I know we sort of connected on Facebook, kind of talking about, uh, you know, an unfortunate situation that you suffered about 18 months ago. Uh, how do you want to break this down? You want to kind of set it up what it was, what you saw? Um, you know, how, do you want to start there? Or what do you think? Yeah, I, I'll just, and the goal here, one of my goals throughout this process has been um, to educate people about, about fraud. And, you know, the more I talk to people, the more I realize that, um, that a lot of people have had these experiences and they're just loath to talk about them. But I think that's a mistake because, you know, the, the more people talk about them, the more investors are aware of what can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more they realize that there are things they can do to prevent it. Um, yeah. You can't always prevent fraud, but you can, you know, you can um, get your fraud radar up. Um, right. it's always good to, to have that up in addition to your due diligence radar, you got to have your fraud radar up. Um, so yeah, so about, it was maybe about three years ago or so that, um, I was introduced to, uh, opportunity to participate in these two syndications, which were, they seemed, uh, you know, fairly straightforward, right? Um, uh, a general partner had found a deal, found in one case uh, a block of apartments in a uh, in a condo tower that uh, they were going to buy, refurb, and then uh, lease out as short-term rentals to executives who were coming into the area. Mm -hmm. That was in Westchester. And then another property also in Westchester that was going to be a gut rehab of an old office building to turn into luxury condos for mm. empty nesters, you know, which also seemed like a great idea because yeah. especially in Westchester County, you know, house prices uh, are through the roof and so are real estate taxes. And as people, you know, downsize, well, in Westchester, downsizing is like moving from a $2 million house to a $1 million house. You know? <laughs> and instead of paying $50,000 in real estate taxes, you're only paying 20000 in real estate taxes. So it's, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Um, but that, it seemed like a great idea for the, for the market. There was a market for that. Um, so, um, and the, the person who introduced me to these deals was somebody who I had worked with before, some years before, on a deal which you know didn't didn't end too badly uh it wasn't great but it wasn't you know wasn't wasn't a money loser and it certainly wasn't fraud um and uh, all of the paperwork and all of the um all of the what you would dot your i's and cross your t's at as you're doing your due diligence seemed to be in place mm. so for example you know the properties really existed right i mean i went kicked the kicked the tires looked yeah. actually at the the physical properties yeah um spoke to the construction managers um looked at the financials right there seemed to be actual bank statements and actual you know financial records um you know spoke to some of the other limited partners who were putting money in mm -hmm. uh the things that you know usually did ran the numbers myself um you know took a look at comparable properties to see whether this seemed like the numbers were making sense yeah 
um, and it all seemed to, you know, make sense. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the I, I should have, um, at that point, when, when I was getting into these deals, you know, I reviewed it with my wife, and, and that's my rule number one now, is always review everything with your spouse, because um, your spouse will will often notice things that you will not because you get involved in the heat of the deal and the numbers and and you want somebody who is kind of you know who has a deep connection to you and and is looking out for you but yeah. is not necessarily deep in the weeds with you and on the details um, and uh, thank God I talked with her because she's you know suggested dialing down the investments you know I was going to invest more in uh -huh. these properties and she said well you know uh, why don't you why don't you do half <laughs> okay um and so my loss my losses would have been twice as great if i hadn't talked to my spouse so wow so my, i guess my rule number one is always talk to your spouse or significant other um but that that being said you know um having passed you know my due diligence and having had my attorney read through the subscription documents and done all that stuff i invested and you know the amount i invested was was not huge, um, you know. I have I have a limit, and one of the things that that saved me in this, uh, and I think should save everybody who is investing in a risky asset class, whether it's private equity or syndications or something that you're not um, in, in, in intimately involved with as a as a person or as a sole owner, is limit your total exposure as a percentage of your net worth. There you go. So you know, I've got this rule, uh, and I, you know, I have no more than you know seven or eight percent of my net worth tied up in any of these things. So this particular, uh, and these two particular investments, uh, you know, wound up being uh, probably about a percent, one percent of my net worth. Mm. Okay. So it could have had the potential to you know produce great returns. Um, and the, you know, absolute cash returns would have been really nice uh, as, as extra income. And primarily, we're, we were looking for ways to generate income. Mm -hmm. um, and these promised, you know, a decent coupon, which a lot of syndications do. You know, you've got mm -hmm. an upfront coupon and then you've got a back end kicker when the property is liquidated. And, you know, and then the general partner takes his share and then the limited partners participate. Um, so that all, you know, seemed to make sense to me. So we went for it. Okay. Um, and for the first you know, about 18 months of these deals, everything was hunky-dory. You know, the, the payments came on time every month. Um, and, you know, I was kicking myself for not investing more because the payments were nice. And one deal was yielding 8%. Another, the other deal was yielding 11%, which, you know, was great. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, one day I get this phone call uh, from the general partner who said, um, you know, we've. I, I, I wanted to introduce all the investors to uh, a, another big investor we're having come in here, because our, you know, we had we had one lead investor who was, you know, had a personal guarantee uh, that was backing some of the investments, which was another point of security on this, right? We had somebody who has had a personal guarantee, mm -hmm. put in millions of dollars, um, and we saw his balance sheet, right? He had personal balance sheet of like 50 million bucks, right? We knew he was good for it. So um, we thought, wow, that's great. Well, this, this person was apparently, uh, you know, backing out of the deal, and we were substituting that capital for somebody else. And so the general partner wanted to introduce us to this new person. So that was a little odd. Um, and then we got introduced to this new person and then all the wheels started coming off all at once. So within, um, within a week of my having that conversation, the general partner 
was arrested by the SEC for fraud on another deal, which was completely unrelated to our deal. Wow. Uh, and he was in jail. And then it turned out that the new investor that he introduced us all to turned out to have been this guy from like Portugal or Spain or some place who um, was also a fraud. I mean, this guy um, was apparently, you know, running around the world uh, convincing people that he owned jets and was a billionaire when the guy had no money and was, you know, classic scam artist. Um, well, it, it, it got worse and worse because um, not only did the payments stop at that point because under the pretense that the new investor was getting his arms around things and the old investor was pulling out and so we had to restructure whatever that meant right in quotes mm -hmm. then uh, then it turned out as we found out that not only was the original GP in jail and uh, a fraudster from way back which we had no idea of um, the new guy was also a fraud and then it turned out that um, now there were a whole bunch of like foreign investors who were involved who we didn't even know were involved and everybody started suing everybody else the wow. the original investor started the original anchor investor started suing this new guy claimed that he uh, the new guy made him sign over his interest in the property without you know without um due consideration uh, so they were suing to get control back Meanwhile, the properties, it turned out that one, unbeknownst to the investors, one of the properties, the interest, a majority interest had been sold to another investor without us even knowing about it. So we had like literally no interest in the property remaining wow. and that had happened months ago. Uh, and then another pro the other property uh, was forced into bankruptcy by uh, another one of the, uh, by one of the vendors. Uh, who was working on the property? Sure. And the whole th so so this all happened within so eighteen months was perfectly fine, and then within a matter of you know two or three months, it all went to hell, um, and all of this stuff came out, and it was just mind-boggling. Uh, so oh. that initial that was just a, a really huge shock to me because nothing like this had ever happened to me before in you know thirty some odd years of investing and twenty-five plus years of real estate investing. Um, and, you know, I mean, I had done well in all those years of investing and this was, you know, to, I guess in, in retrospect, having gone for 25 years as a, as an investor, a real estate investor without experiencing any kind of fraud was kind of a good run. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was bound to happen, you know, sooner or later. Yeah. Um, but what, the, what happened next was, um, uh, was actually, uh, the best part of this story is that the investors all banded together or most of the investors all banded together. We found ourselves through various, the various brokers who had put us into these uh, yeah. nightmares. And um, we, uh, there were, turned out that there were like 47 of us, okay. 47 or 50 of us, right? A big number. Yeah. Uh, and we hired an attorney and we did some investigation and um, it, it turned out that, you know, the there would have been so much brain damage and additional investment required to get even a tiny portion of our money back that um you know we declared losses yeah. but um you know now there are still you know i won't say more on this but we we still have attorneys representing us who are now going after various parties involved so sure. you know a year and a half later we're not giving up um you know we we are banded together 
and we are a community now of you know of investors and you know these are all seasoned investors who have been investing for years all high net worth individuals who you know all feel embarrassed about about having been in this but we're also angry and we're determined you know not only is this never going to happen to us again but we don't want it to happen to other people again yeah that's 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 a wonderful story and what you've just outlined is something I've actually put it out there. I've talked to Jonathan about this is one of my greatest fears is going to happen in more numbers than we want to expect kind of around 2022, 23. I think there's a lot of syndicators um, that are, you know, one step away from becoming crooks because, you know, they've done two or three, they've worked out because the last five years have been pretty good. And pretty soon they're going to start taking from syndication A and paying syndication B because they want their, their return to be the same and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how you have, you know, a Ponzi scheme and right. Exactly. You're right. Exactly. You're just one step away from a Ponzi scheme, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, that's my greatest fear uh, because again, I think we're at the top of the market. I think there's lots of people pitching skinny deals. I've been investing for nearly 20 years and um, I'm afraid. So I'm glad we're talking about this, especially mm-hmm. both as experienced individuals. So let's try to break this down for folks. Right. So you talked about talking to your spouse, right? Always get them. They, she saved you half. You have right. a personal rule of nothing more than seven to eight percent. The way you told that is so that sounded like it was a pre existing rule, meaning, you know, right. Have, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. But that right. was a pre existing rule. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, again, really, really happy that I had those two rules in place <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> limit your exposure. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the third rule is limit your exposure in any one deal. Yeah, to sure. you know a tiny fraction of that you know so and i and i kind of broke that rule because if i had paid attention to that rule i probably would have put half again as much as i had put in right i would have yeah. reduced it by even half but the returns were just so enticing that yeah. you know i ignored that yeah. right so don't ignore your rules if you've got you've got rules in place for good reasons you know limit your exposure the reason you're in this asset class um, is you know to broaden and diversify and hopefully de-risk, not to increase risk. Yes. Um, so you want to keep that rule in mind, uh, and the, the key to that is diversification. You really, really can't have so much in that it's that it's going to hurt you when right. you um, you know when when you know inevitably when one of these deals goes south. And this is kind of like you know we we should borrow as real estate investors we should borrow this from private equity investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and venture capital investors, because you know their rule is out of every ten deals, yeah. one is going to be a superstar, right? And yeah. that's going to be like a seven x return. Three or four or five are going to be middling, fair to middling returns, you know, maybe double digit returns. And then you know three or four are going to go to zero. They yeah. really they're just going to be totally worthless. Uh, and as real estate investors, we're kind of not used to the zero part, you know. <laughs> it's like true. oh well we. Can, we understand that we can have substandard returns and maybe we could lose a bit of money. You know, I mean, if you bought like we bought an apartment in Manhattan in 1980, you know, eight. And that was at the time that was a, a, t- a market top. And we ah. sold in 19, like 94, which was a market bottom. Oh, yeah. You know, I should have held on to that apartment and it would have been worth three, four times what, what, what I sold it for then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did buy it, you know, a house, at the bottom of the market, so that was that was great. Um, but you know, we tend to uh, we tend to think, oh well, we can 
if you if you've invested in a down market, we've all invested in down markets. Yeah. You're going to get some of your money back, you know, unless you're highly leveraged, unless you're 90% lever, 95% yeah. leveraged, you're going to get some of your money back. But what if you get none? You get none back? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, we should think like that, right? Yeah, we should not, think, especially if you're in syndicated, especially if you're in syndicated deals, because, you know, one thing I learned is that no matter what's on paper, and, and even if you kick the tires on the physical property and you talk to people, there's still a chance of fraud. Um, yeah. And unless you personally are buying the property yourself, unless you are the GP. Right. And you trust yourself, right? You know who you are. And, you know, assuming that neither you nor I are a fraudster and we're not going to defraud other people. Yeah. Um, you know, we know what we're going to do. We're going to line up the financing. We're going to buy the property. We're going to manage it correctly. We're going to distribute cash to investors. We're going to handle all that correctly. But if we, if you're not us, <laughs> that's an unknown. It really right. is an unknown. Anybody who is not you it has the potential to be a complete zero. So that's something I just did not realize, yeah. uh, you know, until this happened. Um, the other things I think I realized is that, you know, personal relationships are extremely important and I would never invest with anybody in a future syndication deal unless I knew them personally and had already invested with them or had worked with them in some other capacity. So Jonathan is a great example of this mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I had met him through a networking event. You know, we both went to the same college, you know, we had a background together, um, other people that I knew knew him yep. and so when when he came up you know when he approached me about his first deal it was like okay you know I'll, I'll try this out and I followed my rules with Jonathan you know I did not put in a huge amount of money it was like fifty thousand dollars or something uh and it turned out to be fantastic yeah um and now Jonathan is on my a-list right yes. I mean I'm going for a future investment he's going to be the first person who calls me and I'm going to be, he's, I'm going to call him first. Yeah. Um, and likewise with, uh, you know, I've now I've got this roster of people uh, and, you know, Jonathan's not the only one of folks who have made me money yep. and who I trust. You know, I've got this guy who I've done private equity deals with um, a good friend of mine who lives in the city um, and we've known each other for 15 years. Um, we've done private equity and private equity is another one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of shady characters in yeah. private equity. Um, how do you really know what you're doing? Well, I'm buying shares in a company. Well, really? Yeah. Uh, you, I'm, well, as far as I can tell, you're, you're looking at a spreadsheet, which is a, <laughs> exactly. a bunch of got a logo colors, on <laughs> colors on a screen, right? I, I don't know what that means. And even if you go to a physical location, you know, we know, yeah. Uh, that you could just rent an office and decorate it and hire people to come and sit there. I mean, yeah. it could be fun. Could be. So once you, I think once the, the important lessons here are, are have, have your own rules, work with people you absolutely know and trust. You cannot, cannot, cannot work with people who, and, and, and I broke that rule too, because the person who I, who brought me into this deal was somebody I had known from a prior deal all, you know, like five years ago, and it wasn't such a great deal. And, right. you know, when he called me, he was like, well, you know, I don't know, I'm really not sure, but this sounds good, but I don't really, you know, I don't really like this guy. Yeah. Really, it's like, follow your gut on people, man. Yeah. You really, really have to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I will never, never, ever again invest with somebody who uh, I don't know intimately, who right. I've had dinner with, I know their families, I, you know, because that's, that's who's going to make you money or lose you money. It's the people. Absolutely. Um, 
and you must have absolute 100% faith in them. You know, and one of the other investors in this uh, in this deal with us um, who lost money, I was talking with him, another sophisticated investor who's been around the block, said, you know, I've done due diligence on a, on a zillion deals and uh, been defrauded twice. And, you know, it was once this time and once, you know, some years ago. And he said, what I've learned is that you can you you can do diligence a lot of things, but you can't do diligence fraud. Uh, and that that's a that's a good thing. That's a good lesson to remember because um, fraudsters can know exactly. A good fraudster knows exactly what he needs to do to check all the boxes for due yeah. diligence. You want a site visit? You're going to get a site visit. You want uh, financials? I got you financials. You want a bank reference? I got a bank reference. Right. So very clever, right? I mean, all of those things can be faked, can be forged. They can be exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, and even if all those things go well, as in our case, you know, those up front, the numbers look good. What can happen along the way uh, can be a disaster, right? Yeah. So like the, the general partner in our case, was not functioning like a general partner. He had a fiduciary responsibility as a general partner, but instead, you know, he, how do you sell out an asset from underneath a partnership without letting the limited partners know? Yeah. That's the asset that's guaranteeing the return. What, how, what, yeah. <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, that, that's crazy. So a couple of things have come up, uh, I've, I've taken notes on. First and foremost, one of the things I love about Jonathan and why I would invest money with him is he's not like, always positive, right? These people that are today talking about that, you know, trees go, grow to the heavens and everything is good. They freak me out, right? You, you keep telling me that the returns are going to be 10% forever. Uh, you know, I, I run the other way. Tell me about, tell me about the scary stuff, right? And, and you know, Jonathan mm -hmm. sold his portfolio, right? I did an interview with him probably six, maybe nine months ago, where he's like, I'm out, right? I sold all 300 units or 410 or whatever it was because yeah. it's the top of the market. I like that, right? It's hard mm -hmm to be a syndicator with no assets. Mm -hmm. I, I respect mm -hmm. that, right? So show yeah. me that, show me that person. And then the other one I wanted to ask you about, do you think, so I, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask the question anyway. Do you think this was fraud from the jump, meaning day one, or do you think something happened and it became fraud somewhere, you know, after uh, acquisition? Yeah, I do not, I don't think it was the, the first case. I think it was the latter case. Ah, um, okay. I think it was not from day one fraud. I think that given now what we know, because we've spent, you know, yeah. the past 18 months or 20 months now investigating and, you know, what we've uncovered is like the, it's probably, you know, if you, if you diagrammed all this, you plotted it all out on a bell curve, this would be at the extreme tail, right, of weird outcomes. Sure. Because it was like everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Um, you know, on the on the uh, renovation project, the condo conversion projects, ex expenses were way over what they thought they were going to be prop physical problems with the building. Right. Um, and then, uh, so over budget, you know, too much money being spent. Then you have contractors kind of walking out. You know, this is classic stuff, right? You know, a contractor yeah. takes a deposit, walks out, yeah. and you got a half finished HVAC system. Now you got to hire another contractor, and it's going to cost twice as much. Yeah. So basic stuff like that. But then as, as time went on, those basic problems then that, that were sort of, um, you know, could have, been, could have been forecast. And if you had a bigger, uh, you know, if you had a bigger uh, budget, 
uh, and if you accounted for the downsides, right? Like Jonathan is like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to be very conservative about this. And if my budget is a hundred grand for repairs, I'm going to make it 200. Right. And I'm going to go to the limited partners and raise that much money because I don't want any downside surprises. I'd rather have upside surprises than downside surprises. Agreed. So yeah. these guys did not do that, right? They uh, just did, they were they were operating razor thin. So when you do that and you have razor thin budgets, and you suddenly now are in a position of needing money, well, yeah. that's when that's when fraud happens because Absolutely. now it's like, well, I don't know if I want to tell the investors that because they're going to get spooked. So maybe I'll get another investor come in here and I won't tell the other investors about this investor and he'll give me some cash, but I'll sign a side deal with him. I mean, we found out all kinds of crazy shit that went on that was yeah. just, you know, our jaws were dropping. It's like, how did, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Why didn't yeah. they come back to tell nobody was we were kept totally in the dark because the general partner just did not want the wheels to come off earlier. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So this is, gotta, this, you know, that's, yeah, this is know, my it, greatest it goes, fear. Yeah. Is, it goes, this, it goes down to the character of the general partner mm -hmm. and what will happen when, you know, if what will happen if expenses get too high, what will happen if, the building manager walks out. What will happen if, you know, there, there could be other fraud, right? What, what mm -hmm. happens if that, and Jonathan told this story of, of, uh, you know, a friend of his who invested who, um, you know, bought a, uh, a great property because um, the prior owner was like an absentee wall street guy who had this property and had a property manager who said, oh, this is a terrible performing property, the rents are low. It turned out that the property manager was defrauding the owner and pocketing rent and <laughs> claiming claiming that he couldn't rent things. He was renting, but he was yeah. pocketing the money. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, so what if you, what if you can't trust your property? So, uh, you know, when, yeah. when you can't trust the general manager to, you know, do a good job of managing and communicating, then kind of the door becomes open to fraud. Yeah. So it could start out as a good deal. Right. And then if if you know financial if it's not on a sound financial footing, then fraud can creep in if people don't want to be open about what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, you know, that so that can so that's what happened here. Yeah. It, it, I think it started out. What we know about about what happened is that it started out as a as a reasonable deal. Right. And then because the because the financials were not secure, not mm -hmm. enough money was raised up front. Yeah. Uh, and two high returns were promised. Yeah. Um, that the wheels started falling off and fraud started creeping in. And then when the big investor, when the anchor investor uh backed out it was like oh you know i can't take this anymore i'm losing he lost the guy this guy lost millions of dollars on this right. um and then it turned out that in a bizarre saga it's like you know his uh, like his daughter uh was was you know writing checks that he didn't know about oh, and then his his ex-son-in-law was you know forced him to put more money in like you know they, there was inter-family fraud going on here wow. it's like whoa you know when that happens this is like the you know um the um uh, those soap operas on uh, you know like the uh the, the dallas soap opera yeah. right where all family members are against each other yeah. you know that can happen yeah um and if that happens you know you as a limited partner have no protection against stuff like that yeah so, yeah so, so yeah, so so it can start out, you know, this is like the worst of all possible worlds, right? Well, it can start uh, out, yeah, fine, I, and then wind up as a fraud. Well, I think, well, let's, I mean, 
I think that is unfortunately going to happen a lot. We have a lot of new syndicators, people that picked up that mantle, put it on their business card or LinkedIn in the last three years. They haven't done a deal. They don't, they, they don't know what conservative is. Um, they don't like delivering bad news. They don't want to do capital raises. They don't want to take the return, preferred return from six to whatever. Yeah. And I unfortunately think that what, what happened to you is going to happen in great numbers. It starts out as an honest deal from an honest person who then doesn't know how to handle stress, doesn't know how to deliver bad news. And people are going to go to jail and people are going to lose a lot of money. That's, that's my greatest fear. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp with, with you and Jonathan. I'm, a, I'm very conservative. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like to overestimate the bad stuff. And I'm glad that I did. Um, um, not that I was prepared for the fraud, but, yeah. you know, uh, at least I had some parameters around it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, it was, had a happy ending, right? Because it was like a percent of my net worth. Uh, you know, I made that money back in a few months, you right. know, last year. So, uh, and I wrote it off on, on our taxes, right? So that wrote off other investment gains. Sure. <laughs> so I said, there, you know, it's like, well, so, you know, I would rather it didn't happen For sure. and it stung, wasn't fatal by any stretch of the imagination. My net worth is higher now than it was then. Right. That's fine. Um, and it didn't really hurt my income, you know, because that income got replaced by income from other investments. For sure. So it was just a really painful lesson to learn. But, you know, now I have this community of people yeah. um, that, um, you know, we're, we're in touch constantly. Um, we are, you know, we are keeping each other kind of abreast of, of what's happening uh, in the world of investments. We're very, we've now all learned these lessons. So now I've got, you know, 50 people who've learned lessons. <laughs> Uh, and frankly, I, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm on a crusade to, to spread the word, but I want to spread the word, you know, I mean, right. I want to spread the word that there are fraudsters out there that, especially now, if, if you and I and Jonathan are right, and we're at the tail end of this yeah. uh, expansion, and too many people who don't have any business being in this business are in this business, yeah. they're going to get, it's going to be a big shakeout, and a lot of people are going to get caught. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to have to turn to fraud because they can't communicate well. They don't want to issue a capital call. They don't want to scrimp on their preferred return. And they're going to do anything to, you know, including a Ponzi scheme yep. to make sure that doesn't happen, to give the appearance that everything is okay. But eventually, you know, that, that's going to fall apart. Yeah. And there, somebody's going to go to jail and investors are going to wind up with nothing. Exactly. exactly. So we all have to be much more careful. So let's talk about there's there's one thing. So again, I think your upfront due diligence, if we say it was a you know a good but thin deal in the beginning, it sounds like that was okay. You had you had that covered. What should somebody do in the middle of it, right? You're you're 18 months in, you're cashing the checks, you're living well um, on this investment. But I mean, what was the indicator that I mean, I, how do you check for can you tell me bad news? I mean, that's really the miss here. Um, right. Right. You know, how, exactly. can, how can a new investor who's only even in one syndication, they've done one deal, how can they call their GP and, or, or maybe another partner and just check that stuff out? I mean, how would you check for that? Any right. idea? Well, I think, I think that you put your finger on it. I think that, the, um, that one of the things that I should have done from day one was a, you know, demand a list of all the investors so I could speak to them ah, so we could have our community okay. from the very beginning. 
It's like, I don't want to be in a silo here by myself. I want to talk to the other investors and see what they're hearing because investors, you know, one investor may hear something that another investor doesn't hear. And if the general partner is not communicating well, well, I'm going to get it from the other investors. So that's my, that's my, you know, sort of backstop guarantee to keep the GP honest. It's like, well, if you're really honest, then you'll tell me who all the other partners are because then you have nothing to fear, right? Right. You have nothing to fear whatsoever if I'm talking with the other guys. The second thing is I would just make myself a a pain in the neck to the general partner and say, you know, if I don't hear from you once a month, I'm calling you. There you go. Uh, And I want to, I want a, uh, I want to know what's going on and by what, what is going on, you know, I mean, What's the balance sheet? What's the P&L? Are there any unanticipated expenses this month that are beyond the pro forma? Yep. Uh, are there any upsides beyond the pro forma? I mean, it could happen, right? Yep. I mean, gee, we had fewer of our vacancy rate was lower. That's fantastic. You know, right. let me hear it. I want to know the good news. Um, or, you know, is if there's something unanticipated, um, well, you know, what do you think? And, and answer the question for me, which Jonathan is great at, at doing is, you know, what could happen? You know, yep. what's, the, what's the worst that could happen now? You know, knowing where, where you are, gee, we're heading into a recession or we're heading out of a recession. W- given the macro climate, w- what should we be doing? Should we be doing anything different? How's the manager, uh, the building manager? Are they good? Are they ready to manage in a downturn? Can they deal with higher vacancy rates? What's their plan if there's higher vacancy rates? Are they going to give concessions? Are they going to waive fees? What, how is that going to work? You know, let's talk about that. And if the general manager, if the general partner is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like Jackie Gleason, <laughs> yeah. then, uh, then maybe we should, you know, that's a, that's a bad sign. And I would have, I would have heard that in those conversations early on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so Very I think cool. having, you know, knowing, staying in touch with the other partners, knowing who the other limited partners are, and then making yourself a pain in the neck and, and make yourself a pain in the neck before you sign the deal. You Absolutely. Know? That's that. That's really we're trying to prevent fraud here. So yeah. you know, ask the ask the general partner. Well, is it you know? Can I talk to the other investors? And B, um, you know, what are you doing next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Because I want to you know I want to sit down and talk with you, and yeah. we're going to get into the real details of this. Yeah. If they don't have time for you, and they're not going to be open kimono about the investor base and about their approach, and they're not willing to make the time, to, then walk away. Yep. It's just not absolutely not worth it if somebody is not totally 100 percent transparent and they're not willing to make the time it's your money absolutely. if they're not willing to make the time to get your money then forget it yeah totally agree absolutely forget it yeah my hope is people watch this we're gonna the title will include the word fraud and syndications in it so i what i expect is going to happen at the end of this uh tony is a lot of people are going to want to reach out to you and ask questions or maybe even share hopefully not similar stories hopefully not but maybe <laughs> I know they're out there, but but it's fine if you want to share them. Yeah, uh, but I, how can they get a hold of you? I would you? love to hear them, frankly, because you know, if the more we the more we learn about this, mm-hmm. the more we can learn about you know the the mental models of fraudsters. Yeah, and how we can you know we have to think like fraudsters. Well, how would we do this? How would how do we prevent fraud? It's like um, being a white hat uh, versus a black hat. Oh yeah, hacker, for right? sure. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. So we're, we want to we want to be white hat hackers, right? We want to hack our own deals. You know, yep. it's like, well, all right, if I were a fraudster, how would I how would I fraud this? Oh, oh my God! Well, I have to think about that now. Yeah. So if we the more we have in our in our dictionary of you know potential cases of fraud, what they look like and how these people actually think. I mean, it's difficult for those of us who 
never even thought about this stuff when are on the receiving end of it to, to even think about that. But, you know, we should, we have to think like that, I think sure, to protect yeah. ourselves. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, I, the more people want to share those stories, I think the more that we have a greater chance of assembling this, you know, dictionary of disasters that they can help more people avoid them. Absolutely. So how would you like people to reach out and get a hold of you? Because I, I suspect a lot of people are at least going to want to ask questions because they don't want to be frauded. But I'm sure you're going to hear some interesting stories as well. Yeah. Uh, best is to reach me on my, I have a blog uh, called declaringfreedom.com, which is, you know, all about my uh, experiments with personal freedom. Um, and that's the best way to reach me is through that email address. It's Tony, T-O-N-Y, at declaringfreedom.com. So just the word declaring, the word freedom.com. Very cool, Tony. That's a lot of fun. I'm, I, I'm sorry this happened to you. It sounds like you're a better, better man for it. You know, I got to say that, right? It, it, Absolutely. It, it I am hurts. a better man for it. I feel go. great. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Tony, I appreciate you giving us some time today. This has been a great story. And uh, let's, let's hope we've uh, caused some people that are evaluating syndications to ask some hard questions and people that are in syndications to ask hard questions. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I see some uh, negative surprises in the future. Yeah, that's the goal. We got to 